Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here and an open line Friday. The phone number is 877. 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. Listener Andy, I'm seeing your email. Yes, uh, you drive. You can dry brine the turkey. Now I do try to get under the skin, uh, but if you do it on the skin, you probably need forty eight hours uh, to be able to penetrate. But I, I would, I would lift up the skin and and uh, rub under the skin. I'm trying not to say rub the breast of the turkey, but you know what I mean. <laughs> But yeah, you, you can. Um, and then I put butter. One thing I will say, if you're cooking a, if you're cooking your turkey, here's a trick I learned. Take a gallon Ziploc bag of ice, lay it on the breast of the turkey for 40 minutes before you roast it or smoke it. Um, and the reason is because it will lower the internal temperature of the breast as when you're, you're the turkey's sitting out for a little while while you're getting the smoker or the roasting pan ready and the oven's coming up to temperature of the smoker. Um, it will lower the temperature of the breast because uh, the white meat will cook quicker than the dark meat. And so if you place a gallon Ziploc bag of ice on the breast, it lowers the temperature there enough so that everything more more or less balances out. So you're not going to have dry meat. Um, there you have it. Now, we got to move into uh, stuff. <laughs> you know, for all of the, hey, you should um, not talk about religion on the radio, maybe it's shut up about turkeys. Okay, y'all, I don't know if you know this or not, but the United States Senate is illegitimate again. I always find these stories so funny. Rush Limbaugh used to say that homelessness or unhousedness now uh, is, is never a problem until the moment Republicans get in the White House. And I, I, I remember one of our funniest exchanges we ever had was in, I want to say it was, it was uh, November or December of 2016. Uh, so Donald Trump has won. Yeah, yeah, it was December. It was December because it was the Electoral College was meeting. Uh, and, and so there was all this coverage about progressives trying to block the Electoral College. But the Washington Post did a huge story on the state of homelessness in America. And they had not covered it the entire time Barack Obama was president. But less than a month before Donald Trump was becoming president, suddenly homelessness was a problem in America. And I just emailed him, Rush, Rush, did you see this? Your 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 prophetic words ringing true. He fell out loud. He thought it was just hilarious. Uh, and it's true. And the same thing is remember all of the stories about the illegitimate nature of the United States Senate. It's so anti-democratic. It's so bad. And the Democrats won. Thanks to Trump convincing Georgia Republicans to stay home in 2021, the Democrats held the Senate. And then they took it with, I mean, Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz, my goodness. And all the stories about the illegitimacy of the Senate, they went away. Well, now Joe Manchin has decided he's not running again. That guarantees the Republicans in a really, uh, in a worst case scenario next year, the Republicans should have a 50-50 Senate. 
because Joe Manchin leaving that gives the Republicans uh, his seat. And uh, given the, the number of seats that are up, they're mostly Democrats. Republicans are all in safe seats by and large. It's the Democrats that are in some precarious situations. The GOP should have a 50 seat Senate. And if the Republicans win the presidency, well, that gives them control of the Senate. So suddenly, suddenly the Senate is illegitimate again. This is today in the Washington Post. The hidden biases at play in the U.S. Senate. Subtitle, people of color get significantly less representation than white voters, and that's not the only way the Senate is skewed. So here we go. The United States Senate was never designed to represent all people equally, but over recent decades it has become unrepresentative in ways the founders could not have imagined. In the negotiations that created the Constitution, the House was to be apportioned proportionally based on the population of the state. When a proposal was offered to apportion the Senate in the same way, representatives from the less populated states objected. The solution is what became known as the Great Compromise, a Senate that was designed to treat each state equally regardless of population. Two senators from the states with the least population, two senators for the states with the most population. The new nation in 1790 consisted of 13 states arrayed along the eastern seaboard with political parties still in their infancy. At that time, only white male landowners could vote. Today, the United States is a transcontinental behemoth. It's increasingly diverse, with the franchise open to adult citizens, regardless of race or landowning status, and it's increasingly sorting itself along rigid partisan lines. The result of the country's evolution has been a Senate that suffers from three fundamental imbalances, according to a Washington Post data analysis. First, the disparities in power among voters in different states have widened as states have grown unevenly. Second, because of demographic distributions, white voters now have substantially greater influence than voters of color. And finally, in recent decades, Republican senators have maintained majority control even when they represent a minority of Americans. That's because Republicans, more Republicans than Democrats, are elected in the least populous states. That's not the sole reason these imbalances have contributed to the Senate's inability to enact legislation that enjoys popular support from voting rights to gun laws. Ah, yes, you see, it's those white voters who are the problem in the rural states. Now, I, I want to go back to the first paragraph. The United States was never designed to represent all people equally, but over recent decades, it has become unrepresentative in ways the founders could not have imagined. First, the disparities in power among voters in different states have widened as states have grown unevenly. That's actually the whole reason for the Great Compromise. Their very first point is one the founders saw coming. Second, because of demographic distributions, white voters now have substantially greater influence than voters of color. Uh, hello, when the founders contemplated the Senate, voters of color had no votes at all. You're complaining that white voters have greater influence than voters of color. Actually, at one point, they had all the influence, so they're less now than there was. And finally, Republican senators have maintained majority control even when they represent a minority of Americans. 
because Republicans, more than Democrats, are elected in the least popular states. Now, it's true. The Republican Party was not around at the time, and there really weren't major parties when the Republic got started. But factionalism was a thing. Have these people read the Federalist Papers? Factionalism was an entire contemplated aspect of the divisions of power and the separations of power and the, 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 the three articles of the Constitution. Good gracious, these people are making mountains out of molehills of things the founders actually did contemplate. Now, here's the other thing. So the Washington Post yesterday did a big lament on gun violence in the country, and they showed very explicit photos of the aftermath of gun violence in the country, disturbing photos. They won't show the disturbing photos of what Hamas did to the Israeli citizens because the Washington Post is a propaganda outlet of Hamas. And notice that this propaganda outlet of Hamas has gone from refusing to show what Hamas did to showing what AR-15s do to now trying to discredit an institution within the United States Constitution. And they didn't bother to try to do that uh, when the Democrats were in charge. But now that the Republicans are headed towards taking charge of it, let's discredit it. But it doesn't matter, like the gun stuff. It doesn't matter. What this does is it fuels intellectual outrage to the leftists marching in the streets against the United States, the people who hate the country. It gives them uh, intellectual firepower to say the United States is illegitimate because they don't control the Senate. Notice how the nation becomes illegitimate when progressives don't get to be in charge. But it doesn't matter. It takes two-thirds votes of both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states to change the composition of the Senate. And even then, the Constitution of the United States prohibits any state from losing senators without its consent. The Senate is not a proportional body. The Senate represents the states. And so into this, I must do something and remind everyone listening that the states are sovereign nations. We don't talk about it that way anymore. But the states are sovereign, semi-sovereign now. The states ceded certain powers to Washington, D.C. There are specifically 14 states in this nation that were sovereign, 15 really, 15 states in this nation that were completely sovereign entities. What Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, what am I missing in there? Well, so you you got the first 13 original colonies, and then you have Texas, that's 14, and then you have Hawaii, that's 15. Hawaii was a kingdom. You had these 14 were actual sovereign, fully sovereign entities. All of the others came through land expansion and divisions. West Virginia came from dividing 
Virginia. The 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 what the Northwest Co- Ordinance came from um, those areas. Uh, what uh, the, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, those areas. You spread west. The federal government acquired land as the population grew. They became states. So those in arguably were uh, the federal government broken into state subdivisions. But the original 13 states plus Texas and Hawaii, they were fully sovereign nations that gave up some sovereignty to Washington, D.C. And we treat the others in the same way. Louisiana, of course, and much of the territory thereof, the Louisiana Purchase was purchased from France. Louisiana was a separate nation. Florida belonged to Spain. Alabama and Mississippi used to be part of Georgia. That's right, Alabama and Mississippi. Georgia existed before you did. You were part of the state. So they matter. They matter because of sovereignty. They, they matter because the states are semi-sovereign nations. Now, the Civil War settled. The fact that once in, you can't get out. Settled at least for now. But for now... And probably forever. You're not leaving, but you still matter. The Tenth Amendment ratified and, and made clear you're semi-sovereign. You only ceded limited powers to Washington, and the Senate is supposed to represent you. That, by the way, is why I think, what is it, the Seventeenth Amendment is bad uh, and should be repealed that allows for direct election of the senators. I, I think we should go back to the way it was, which is that uh, governors appoint and legislatures confirm the senators. I think we really should go back to that as a reminder that the senators are beholden to the states and not to the people because the states still matter. And all this bellyaching from the left has everything to do with their lack of control of the institution, not the institution itself. If they control the institution, they wouldn't say a thing about it. They would be fine with it. They would be totally fine. The Washington Post would have no problem if the shoe was on the other foot. If it was Democrats elected in the least populous states, and so it was Democrats who represented a minority of people and yet were in charge, they would be totally fine with it because it's about power. And since they don't have the power, they want to delegitimize the institution. You can delegitimize the United States Senate all you want. It's going nowhere, and it will still maintain its power because that's the way the founders intended. So the next step will be to discredit the founders yet again, which is what they're trying with the 1619 Project. They will not stop until the entirety of the United States is on the ash heap of history, because fundamentally, at the end of the day, they hate the country. And it's not a surprise that a pro-Hamas institution like the Washington Post would be leading the call to delegitimize the Senate. They're just doing the terrorist work. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint, you want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month, available by phone, email, real-time chat. They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. They, you got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team. 
They give you access to HR expertise and they add personal touches. So even though they're outsourced by your company, they really feel like they're a part of your team. That matters. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast. When you sign up, it'll help my show. Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com, Eric Erickson in the podcast tab. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? This is from the Washington Examiner. Gabe Kaminsky. Anti-Israel groups behind the recent protest that turned violent at the Democratic National Committee headquarters can thank influential left-wing dark money organizations with opaque funding structures for helping to keep the lights on, financial disclosures show. Roughly 200 activists gathered Wednesday outside the DNC in Washington, D.C. to demand a ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza conflict. Though the demonstration took a turn when protesters pepper-sprayed Capitol Police and pushed dumpsters to block exits, leading to a clash and the arrest of a 24-year-old man for assault, with six total officers treated for injuries. That event, which is sending shockwaves through Congress as lawmakers raise national security concerns, was sponsored by, if not now, Jewish Voice for Peace Action and Democratic Socialists of America, groups that haul in millions of dollars each year from liberal dark money kingmakers, ranging from George Soros to the Tides Foundation. You know, Debbie Dingell, a Democratic member of Congress from Michigan, her husband, John Dingell, for years, the dean of Congress till he died. Um, she says it was more shocking than what happened on January 6th. She felt more unsafe than January 6th. She was inside the DNC when the attack came. And it is left-wing progressive groups, the George Soros Foundation, Open Whatever Foundation, uh, the Tides Foundation, Arabella Advisors, they're funding these left-wing groups engaged in this level of violence. We've, we've got a, a group of rabid progressive protesters in this country who have convinced themselves that this level of violence is resistance and that resistance is justified. This is, uh, I mean, the chickens have come home to roost in postmodern academia and critical theory teaching the intersectional wokeism about uh, resistance and violence and the like. This is why they all embraced Osama bin Laden yesterday. It's just fascinating to watch this happen. The left, they're tearing themselves apart, but they want to tear the country apart first. Standing up against this groups like Americans for Prosperity, the left targets them repeatedly, and Americans for Prosperity stands firm. And you can stand with Americans for Prosperity. And they will teach you how to be a more effective conservative activist. They'll teach you how to explain why wokeism is bad, why Bidenomics is bad, why a large, powerful, centralized federal government is bad, and how it's a threat to our freedoms. They'll teach you how to go to your neighbor and make the case for free markets and free people. They'll teach you how to go to your school board, make the case for charter schools and school reform. They'll teach you how to make the case to your state legislature for school choice and deregulation. They make you a powerful instrument for the fight for freedom. All you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash eric today. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. They teach you how to become a powerful activist, and you join more than 4 million activists around the country standing up for the principles you believe in, for the principles of the conservative movement. And then they get out into the states and they do the work of the conservative movement. But they need your help. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Go sign up today. Be a part of a powerful movement for freedom in this country.
It looks like it is about to pour down rain outside my window, and I want to go hit golf balls, and I'm not going to be able to. It is going to pour down rain. My goodness. Okay. Welcome. I'm sure you care about the weather where I am. <laughs> oh, look. There's some blue over there. It's just it, It's gotten dark outside. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, Alan, going to go to you next. Welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Uh, I just had a question regarding uh, we were just talking about, or you were just talking about the Constitution. Is the Constitution not a contract with the states and the people? And in it is are enumerated their powers. They have seized powers that that were not in our contract can we not sue them in court and get the power back uh, as oh, the state uh yes and no this one this one's a little more complicated because it, it, it yes we can think of it as a, as a contract between um the, the but it's it's really more than that it's an organizing document uh for a new nation uh, where states gave up limited power to a federal government. And, and in a lot of cases, it's the states that have to sue, not the people, um, if right. the federal government's gotten too big. And, and we got a lot of attorneys general who love to sue the federal government, depending on who's in the White House. Uh, but yes, there are certain cases where rights are not given by the Constitution, but rights are protected by the Constitution. And when the government infringes those rights on us individually, we can. The problem is, uh, I mean, the, the the federal court system is in on it. Uh, they're in on the theft of the rights um, in, in a lot of cases. And so it's it's really impossible to sue. you got to have elections and get like-minded uh, people in Congress to be able to steer the ship. It's one of the great things over time. Honestly, I think, for example, Alan, the, the pro-life movement is the most successful civil rights battle in the country since the original civil rights movement expanding uh, liberty getting rid of Jim Crow laws in the 60s. Over 40 years, the pro-life movement elected pro-life elected officials and got them elected in ways that helped shape the federal judiciary and, and moved it to the right. And that's been helpful in a host of areas for freedom in this country because, you know, the government of the United States is actually founded on the idea of negative liberty, not positive liberty. Negative liberty is the idea that uh, the government preserves what you and I have. It doesn't give us stuff. Positive liberty is the idea that what we have comes from the government. And the government has a positive obligation to distribute it to us, um, which is a horrible idea to think that all these great things we have the opportunity for in this country come from the government, as opposed to the idea of the founders, which was to protect us from the government, but also provide a functioning government. Um, it, it, philosophically, everybody has a different view on this, but I got to tell you, uh, elections matter. And picking conservatives to go to Washington, to the Senate, to then pick conservative jurists who believe that we got to interpret the Constitution as written when written is a great thing. And for 40 years, conservatives have been very successful at doing that. Uh, almost so successful that people forget that success. Uh, Kathy, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm a conservative Republican. And we're constantly hearing about what a success Bidenomics is and how all these new jobs have been created and how the country is progressing. 
but you never hear anyone speaking of how many people have filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Look, it, it's it's not just people firing, filing for bankruptcy, but people headed there because they're more and more relying on credit cards for cost of living. They're, they're, yeah, Kathy, you're right. It's It's a sign of something unstable in the country. There has not been statistically a huge spike in bankruptcies in the last couple of years. Uh, but there have been a huge spike in people having to renegotiate debt, which is a precursor to bankruptcies. I, now, that, that's relevant, Kathy, to this audio. This is from Joe Scarborough on, on Morning Joe on MSNBC. And what's so frustrating at the White House is that they have numbers that show 70 75 percent of americans are happy with where they are economically yeah the data doesn't always make sense i can tell you from (laughs) banging my head against the wall communicating (laughs) about the economy from the white house for two presidents over many years it is very difficult to do you can't tell people how they feel about the economy they are going to decide how they feel about the economy and the challenge for the biden white house right now is they need to make up some grounds on the economy in terms of how the american public feels that they're spending lots of money on paid media to do that but really, the question is, should they actually be focusing on the contrast with Trump and right. fascism and the threat he is? And should they be spending more time on that? But, Frank, you've, you wrote a whole book about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know almost as much as I do about the Biden universe thinking. Yeah. How are they thinking about this right now? Uh, I think in a wrong <laughs> sort of way, to be honest, um, because I think that the story that they can tell may not help convince people that things are great, but it can blunt some of the Trump appeal. That when you look at the ways Biden's real, one of Biden's real achievements as president is that he, he's gone in a different direction from Obama and Clinton as it relates to the management of the economy. He took a lot of things that Trump talked about, whether it is trade policy, whether it's going after monopolies, whether it's standing on the side of, of he's an, he is He is an FDR Democrat. Oh, they've got data. Their data shows three-quarters of Americans are real happy with the economy. Do you know any of them? Do you know any of them? I don't. I, I mentioned earlier I'm, I'm the grocery store shopper of the family, and it, not a week goes by that I'm in line at the grocery store that somebody isn't complaining about grocery prices. And they say, well, well, inflation's gone down. No, no, no. It's not deflation. It's just the rate of inflation has declined. So prices are still going up, just not as fast. It's remarkable to me. And, and, and you've got media outlets like MSNBC and others that are trying to tell you that you actually have a really good thing. You, you've, you've really got a great thing. Uh, you, you, really, you, you should love the economy right now. You should love it right now. But, you know, there's a side aspect of this, and and I, I don't have any date on this. I am literally just talking at this moment, and I have no date on it, which is a dangerous thing to do, but I am a professional. The number of people in the country who have shifted the educational experience of their children to homeschool or private school. Now, follow along with me on this. A lot of people have pulled their kids out of public schools and sent them to private schools to get an education. They're still paying taxes for the public school. They can't get out of that, but they don't feel like they're getting their value, and now they're they're having to save money 
to pay the private school tuition or they're homeschooling their kids, which means one of the parents gave up their job. So things are more expensive and they have less money because a parent either gave up their job or they're paying for private school because the school systems in the country, the public school systems, people don't like. And I, I wonder if there's that because you look at the data, there's been a real shift towards homeschool and private school. So I do wonder how much of what is being felt by people out there uh, are people with kids. And people with kids are more prone to vote than anyone other than retirees. And those people more prone to vote are not voting Democrat because they really don't feel like their lives are better because, if anything, they really well and truly feel the costs on a more regular basis because their kids are now being homeschooled or in private school. Groceries are more expensive. Gas is more expensive. Most private school systems, they don't have buses, so the parents are having to drive the kids to school every day. The cars aren't super fuel efficient, and they're not all in Teslas, so they got to pay for gas. they got to pay for groceries. The real-world effects of this are expensive. Expensive. I So earlier in the program, I encouraged people to be thankful, to remember the things they should be thankful for, to be grateful. But, you know, if, if you're not happy or you're not thankful, it doesn't do a whole lot of good for someone to tell you to be maybe remind you of stuff, but when it's the government telling you, oh, you should be thankful. Yes, your your groceries are more expensive, but your take-home pay is going up. Yeah, but it's offset by the higher costs. It's really hard to lecture Americans on this sort of stuff um, because Americans remember what it was like in the Trump administration, and it wasn't this bad. It is a Bidenomics phenomenon, and Joe Biden has wrapped himself in the label, and part of me and there's no way to really pull it, but part of me thinks that people philosophically, like mentally, psychologically, that Biden embracing the idea of Bidenomics just really hacks them off because they don't feel happy about it, and it feels like Joe Biden is wrapping himself in it and saying, you people should be happy thanks to me, and people don't feel happy at all thanks to him. Back to the phones. Ron, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show, Ron. Yeah, I I just was... I guess I've been thinking, thinking, thinking about it uh, ever since the attack in on Israel. So, but I mean, why is there such a worldwide ha- hatred for for Jewish people? I mean, I've heard the jokes all my life, but I mean, I, I don't understand why it's to to um, this let le- let level. Uh, Ron, um, I, I I will tell you, it is a it's it's anti-Semitism to me and a lot of other people is actually a canary in the coal mine. I was explaining this to my kids the other day. They didn't understand the phrase. Coal miners would take canaries into the coal mines with them, and when the birds stopped chirping, they knew they were hitting pockets of either carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide, and they needed to get out or they were going to die too. Anti-Semitism is a canary in the coal mine for some sociological poison in society. When anti-Semitism rises, it means there is societal discontent rising and people are looking for a fall guy. Jews get the blame faster than other groups because Jewish people are disproportionately seen 
as being in charge of institutions of finance, of banks, and things like that. So when society no longer feels good, economically safe, they go blaming the bankers, and the bankers are Jewish, and they're Jewish by a historic fluke. Anti-Semitism's first rear its head by early Christians who blamed the Jews for killing Jesus. And Jews were treated as second-class citizens. And Christians thought it was unseemly for Christians to be involved with money because what does the New Testament say? You can't serve both God and money. And so the Christians would force the Jews to be the bankers, to lend them money. Part of it was to slight Jews because Jews were not, it was sinful to engage in usury and things like that. And so the Christians would essentially say, well, we're not going to get our hands dirty with money. We're going to make you Jews do it. Well, guess what? The Jews got really good at business and finance. And so you fast forward to the 20th century and in you have a lot of, of bankers and others in Germany and the economy is in decline and they're Jewish, so Hitler blames the Jews. Can't blame the government policies of the Germans, it's got to be the Jews. It's an early warning signal of societal discontent. When you begin to see a rise of anti-Semitism, what you are seeing is people in the world are full of discontent and they're looking for a scapegoat. And the Jews are very easy scapegoats, not because of what they've done, but because of the positions others forced them to be in. So they can be the perpetual fall guy. But never, and this is important, never, ever, ever when you see a rise of anti-Semitism does it stay contained to hatred of Jews. It spreads next to Christians and then to other religions and other minorities, to the gypsies in Europe at the time in World War II and others. It is an early warning signal as a canary in the coal mine that something very bad is happening in our society right now. And it tends to stem from some level of economic discontent uh, and people are looking for a fall guy, and charlatans, grifters, frauds, and governmentarians come along, and they point the finger at the Jews to avoid responsibility for their own mistakes and problems. And when you see it happening, you should understand if we don't contain it, it spills over to all aspects of society. Speaking of those societal issues. Uh, look at all the banks, that one big one in Iowa, the Farmers Bank in Iowa that is closed. You had Silicon Valley Bank and others. There really is something going on economically, and the government can tell you everything's hunky-dory, but you see for yourself it's not. These banks will keep up racking up profits. Even as things get worse, they might get sold to a mega bank. The government then backs because it's too big to fail. Swiss America is sounding the alarm about this stuff, this discontent, this problem in society. They've got a report out, The Secret War on Cash, the all-out assault on our freedoms. With interest rates rising, banks teetering, Swiss America wants to help you protect your hard-earned assets now. You can get their report, The Secret War on Cash. Your copy's completely free. All you do is call or text 800-289-2646. When you call or text 800-289-2646, all you do is give them my name, Eric Erickson. The all-out war on cash includes digital forms of currency. It's spreading, so get The Secret War on Cash report free. Just to my listeners, you mention Eric Erickson, you call or text 800-289-2646. That's 800-289-2646. Or call them, or you call or text it. Or you can go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. That's SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K. The number again, 800-289-2646. Message and data rates will apply. Greetings, welcome, delighted to have you with me. I, I got to spend just a moment here. I wanted to actually spend more time and 
Maybe we'll on Monday when we come back. Um, Carl Rove and Ramesh Panuru in two separate publications have run through the data on abortion in Virginia. And, you know, the conventional wisdom rapidly rushed to say, oh, abortion, loser for the GOP. As I was telling you before either of these guys did. Actually, turns out um, Glenn Youngkin's compromised 15-week position in Virginia saved the GOP. In every swing district in Virginia, the Republican candidate won if they did two things. One, pointed out the Democrats' extremist position of abortion up until birth, and two, their 15-week compromise, that they they supported a 15-week compromise, not a uh, no abortions whatsoever. If they supported 15 weeks with exceptions for rape, life of the mother, uh, and um, incest, they won everywhere, including districts where Joe Biden won by 9 and 10 percent. They won, uh, neutralized the Democrats' position. And in fact, polling of voters in those districts showed that they found the Republican position more reasonable than the Democratic position. The 15-week compromise, Democrats have rushed out to vilify it and say it's a dead-ender for the GOP. On the other hand, some absolutists in the pro-life community have done the same thing. They, they don't want any compromise. Uh, They recognize it may be a loser, but they're willing to go down with the ship on principle. And I think that's actually a commendable position. Um, You you believe so strongly abortion is murder. I do, too. Um, I just don't know that costing us elections where we can't save anybody uh, is is smart. So I'm I'm willing to go along with the 15-week compromise while we continue to change hearts and minds in the country. Uh, but the data is out there that it was not the the doomsday scenario for the GOP. And in fact, more and more people are realizing the reason the media rushed to say it was is to try to discourage Republicans from taking a very eminently reasonable position on the issue of life and abortion. And with the 15-week compromise, majority voters support it. And again, in every swing district in the Virginia legislature where Republicans embraced the 15-week compromise— and pointed out the Democrats' extremism on the district. The GOP actually won. They wound up picking up a seat in the state Senate. Yes, they lost the state house, but only by four votes in redistricted areas that became even more Democrat. They won districts. Every district where Joe Biden won by nine points or less, the Republicans won. That's just how blue the, Dem- the Virginia's become, which kind of an indicator that actually this wasn't fatal to the GOP at all. They did a very good job. Glenn Youngkin's position did a very good job. We should keep that in mind in the future. You guys have a great weekend. Remember, start thawing out your turkey. I'll see you guys on Monday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.